Leah Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of the 2019 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, 18 Ideas for Healthier No-Till Soils, Yields, and Profits, is brought to you by Midwest Biotech. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Midwest Biotech for sponsoring today's episode. Midwest Biotech markets the complete line of Chandler crop products that enhance plant growth and soil health. To improve soil health, farmers need reliable and easy to understand measurements of soil biology, chemistry, and structure. Midwest Biotech recently opened their new soil health lab to provide practical information based on quick and affordable methods, including the Solvita suite of soil health tests. Contact Midwest Biotech to learn how you can manage carbon, nitrogen, and other important resources that contribute to soil health and your bottom line. Visit them at MidwestBioMan.com. At the 2019 National No-Tillage Conference held in Indianapolis this past January, three no-tillers were recognized as the 11th annual class of responsible nutrient management practitioners for being environmentally, economically, and practically responsible with their no-till nutrient management programs. In this episode, you'll hear from Robbie Beavis of Lone Oak, Arkansas, Mike Brocksmith of Vincennes, Indiana, and Jerry Perry of Clinton, Kentucky, each of whom will share five nutrient management practices they've implemented on their own farms that they say contribute to healthier soils and improved bottom line. Plus, we'll also get three clever niche marketing ideas from North Carolina no-tiller Russell Hedrick that helped him achieve higher profits. Our first one is going to be for Robbie Beavis. The first one, you said you strategically reduce the amount of urea, potash, and phosphate. Our goal behind this is just, number one, reduce inputs, because if you reduce inputs, you reduce cost. Um, but also, we feel like, you know, if you're using commercial potash, urea, it's, it's a high salt content. You're just doing more detriment to your uh, the microorganisms in your soil. So we're trying to figure out a softer way to continue to, to grow the biology of the soil. Okay. Number two uh, from Mike. Uh, Mike, yours is nutrient management is one piece of a long-term soil health system on your farm. Tell us more about that. Yes, we've been no-tilling. We started in the 1970s and we've been continuing at snow-till for almost 30 years. Um, Our soils now are a lot more forgiving and a lot more productive. And we've recently added cover crops and it's made our system a lot more resilient. And we feel our soil can uh, retain nutrients and capture them and hold water a lot different than it did 30 years ago. And our fertility system is really a basic, uh, simple system. And we try not to do anything fancy. We try not to put on nutrients that we don't need. We try not to spend money we don't have to. And uh, we try not to use things that aren't proven and give us a return on investment. Okay. Go to number three, uh, Jerry, we'll go to you. Uh, know how to read and interpret your soil test. Uh, you, fi- you got that a little bit under control, hopefully, and figured it out? It's very important, we feel, to know how to do- read your soil test. Uh, that's the baseline for our production. And uh, if you don't know what you're, what you're working with, well, it's hard to know what you're gonna wind up with. So it's very important, we think, to. Uh, be very on top of the soil testing and the, know the interaction of the nutrients, uh, how the micronutrients and all of it works together, and it's, it's very important to, to know that. Okay. All right. 
Go to number four. This one's back to Robbie. Use more ammonium sulfate and less urea is one of the things you've done. Yeah, this is going back to the still the number one. Urea is such a high, you know, it's, it's a salt content. And ammonium sulfate is uh, not as hard on back to the biology of the soil. And also, you know, urea, you're having to use uh, stabilizers to help maintain it. And through uh, ammonium sulfate, you're, it's 100% it's ready available and, and you're not going to lose as much because... You know, as many of us did this year, we normally have about a 50-inch rainfall, and I think we ended the year with about 72. Um, so we lost a lot of nitrogen this year just mm -hmm. because of of all the wet weather we had this spring. So just trying to trying to maintain and use and be more efficient of what nutrients we do put out. Okay. Go to number five. This one's for Mike. Soil testing and variable rate nutrient applications have provided uniform fertility. So you, sounds like you've made some changes through the years and discovered some things. Yes, uh, we started doing VRT uh, grid soil testing and VRT application in uh, 1995. And before that, we used a, a zone management system. And now we use uh, yield maps, uh, crop removal, and both soil tests to uh, apply our nutrients. Initially, when we started the VRT application, we adjusted our nutrients and uh, had some savings due to uh, heavy manure applications on our farm in the past. The biggest change in our fertility system and the biggest reward from the VRT has been on our soil pH. Uh, before we went to VRT, we routinely applied two to three ton an acre of blanket application over every field every two to three years. And now with the VRT after 20 years, we uh, often average less than a ton an acre of lime every three years. And our soil tests are a lot more uniform and we maintain our pH quite a bit higher than we used to. And go to Jerry with number six. When splitting nitrogen, time each application to crucial growing points for the plant. So what are you doing there, Jerry? Okay, what we're doing is, it's planting, we put out 20 gallon of 32% on top, <clears throat> following right behind the press wheel, the closing wheel. And we put 20 gallon there, and then in V3 and V4, we come back with an application of 20 to 25 gallon, it's prescription. And then at V7, V8, we come back with another application. So we put on nitrogen three times, split three times through the season. Mm -hmm. We try to feed it, have enough units to feed the plant, but not over-apply. Okay. How's that a little different from what you used to do with, with right. nitrogen? Yeah, we, we left anhydrous several years ago, and we don't use any anhydrous at all. We're all 32%. All right, we'll go to number seven, and that's Robbie's. Uh, go to a total inferral fertilizer program. You've used infer in the past, and we got away from it, but um, we're going to try some new things, going to some softer fertilizers, not be as hard. Uh, like I said, back to it's all about the biology of the soil and the roots and um, trying to stimulate biology in the soil so we can have a better nutrient cycling ability mm -hmm. in the soil. You think you're going to be like a total one pass or? No, I don't think quite. I will because, you know, hopefully we can get our P and K out just through that and uh, we'll still be doing some, like I said, the ammonium sulfate for our, our N at this point. That's correct. The plan. So it won't be a total in furrow, but at least try to get most of our P and K out on the front end in yeah. furrow. Uh, number eight, do we go back to Mike? Uh, cover crops helping you trap and capture nutrients. From what we've already heard this morning, and I think you're going to hear this the rest of the week, uh, cover crops have uh, become an important part of, of a lot of our, our systems, and uh, we kind of feel like they were a missing link in our farming system and uh, have uh, changed us for the positive. We keep talking about how they capture nutrients and let us recycle them, and also uh, 
make more water available. And for us, the immediate benefit of cover crops was they reduced soil erosion on our highly erodible ground. But another benefit to the cover crops for us is they made our soil profile deeper. And uh, late in the season when it's dry, uh, the crop roots go, go deeper and get nutrients and, uh, and capture water that otherwise they not, might not have been able to reach. And, and we like to say that they made our bucket deeper. And uh, cover crops also make us Oh, more comfortable when we put on nutrients that we know they won't be as likely to leach or wash away. So I think we feel like cover crops maybe weren't the final piece of the puzzle, but they were a big missing piece of the puzzle for our cropping system. We'll come back to our responsible nutrient management practitioners in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Midwest Biotech, for supporting today's episode. Midwest Biotech markets the complete line of Chandler crop products that enhance plant growth and soil health. To improve soil health, farmers need reliable and easy to understand measurements of soil biology, chemistry, and structure. Midwest Biotech recently opened their new soil health lab to provide practical information based on quick and affordable methods, including the Solvita suite of soil health tests. Contact Midwest Biotech to learn how you can manage carbon, nitrogen, and other important resources that contribute to soil health and your bottom line. Visit them at MidwestBioMan.com. With the reduced commodity prices that we've seen in recent years, many farmers are struggling to stay above water. As a result, some farmers have been getting creative about marketing their harvests in new ways. Russell Hedrick of Hickory, North Carolina, has identified several alternate venues for his crops, which have proven to be great moves financially. He shared some thoughts on the topic when I met with him at a Soil Health Academy workshop this spring. The market is terrible right now. Bean prices are down, corn's down, wheat's not good. I know it's kind of been a joke. I've heard it said several times over this, this last spring that if farmers just grew less grain, the grain prices would be better. But I think it comes back to that farmer mentality, bigger, faster, better. You know, you can't out-yield your way out of, out of a deficit. I think that it's really going to take farmers looking at new ways to farm, niche marketing, direct marketing, and right now we're suffering. Um, eventually, hopefully, it's going to be better. That's, you know, most of us are hopeful for that, but right now it's kind of tough. But you've really got to push a pencil hard to, uh, to see a profit if you're hauling directly to an elevator. And, um, you know, those market pressures, they're tough right now because we didn't see any kind of input prices go down hardly this year where I'm at in North Carolina. And that's pretty tough for farmers when they're getting, you know, when that first year I farmed, I got $8.10 a bushel for corn. I, I thought it was the best thing ever. And like this year, I think our local price is right around four bucks. So that's 50% drop, but my inputs have actually went up. And, uh, you know, if you were doing conventional, traditional farming styles, your inputs would have went up. So, I mean, it just, it really comes back to uh, farmers really have to get a sharp pencil this year. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if, if you look at our operation with utilizing cover crops, no-till, you know, just looking strictly at chemicals and fertilizer alone, we're saving about $95 an acre. Um, that doesn't include, you know, less hours on my tractors, less hours on my sprayers. Um, my, my combines, uh, we're, we're actually yielding uh, well above our county average on our crops. So we're seeing better quality crops, which gives us a higher end market where we're actually seeing typically our corn sales anywhere from, you know, 650 to 850. Um, sometimes, you know, if we grind it up into grits and cornmeal, we're getting $7 a pound, which is over, you know, a couple hundred dollars a bushel. Um, and everybody likes grits and cornmeal, at least in the South they do. But, you know, I think ultimately it just comes down that if you want to make a profit, you've got to start looking at cutting inputs. 
And, and the quickest way to do that is cutting your machine time down. You know, it's like Gabe Brown talks about quality of life. You know, I, I like being in a tractor sometimes, but I don't want to live in it. I, mean, I want to go out to dinner, have a steak and, 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 and have a good night, go to the movies. Um, you know, some guys spend their whole, their whole life, their whole year in a tractor trying to do tillage passes or spray passes. And ultimately we've just got to cut those down. We direct market on our farm probably about 80 to 90 percent of what we produce. Um, and it wasn't like that in the beginning. You know, in 2013, when we started doing direct marketing, we maybe marketed 10 percent of our crop then. Um, but it eventually got to the point, you know, one of the things I learned is operational diversity is just as good and just as critical as diversity in the field. And so when you start looking at, you know, selling to distilleries, to malt houses, um, selling seed, Instead of getting $5 for a bushel of wheat right now, we can get $14 for a, a bag of seed. Um, and then soybeans, you know, it was it was kind of tough to get into that market, but we started selling seed beans. We're getting $30 a bushel wholesale um, instead of going to the elevator right now for $8.50. So, and farmers can do it. There is a market out there, and that's the crazy thing to me. Like last year, we probably had the largest shortage in small grain as far as like cereal rye, triticale, oats. Mm -hmm that they said we had in 20, 25 years. And so instead of growing a grain commodity for 250 a bushel for oats, guys could be getting eight, $9 a bushel for oats, just simply paying an extra dollar and running it through a seed cleaner. Um, so, you know, those niche markets, and I think not every farmer wants to deal with the headache of the public um, because it is crazy what we deal with dealing with the public. Like I had a woman call and she wanted to order a, a buy one of our hogs and she wanted it all in bacon. And she didn't understand that, you know, the bacon is the belly of the hog. And I would love to have a whole hog in bacon at $9 a pound. Um, but their sausage and hams and other things and pork chops that come out of it, they just, the general public really just doesn't understand what we do as farmers sometimes. And so there is a lot of education that goes on sometimes. So you just, you got to be willing to tell your story and deal with the public. Now let's get back to Robbie Beavis, Mike Brocksmith, and Jerry Perry. We'll take it to Jerry. So we're going to follow on that cover crop theme. Using legume cover crops before corn helps increase organic nitrogen that's readily available to the crop. At this time, we're using one legume. We use uh, cereal rye where we're going to uh, beans next year. We use cereal rye and hairy veg. We're putting 60 pounds of uh, cereal rye and about six pounds of veg to the acre. And on our on our corn ground, going into corn next year, we we've experimenting with the annual ryegrass, which we don't grow any wheat, so we're not worried as much about the annual ryegrass. We've learned how to terminate it, so we're using annual ryegrass at about ten pounds an acre, and we're also using the legume, which uses is crimson clover. It's what we've been using. This time, I'm using dwarf Essex rape. So we, um, we're we uh, experimenting with the, the different legumes, which one we think is going to be the best. So at this time, we're using crimson clover and, and annual ryegrass on corn. Okay, number 10, we'll go back to Robbie. Uh, promote more nutrient cycling in the soil. If you would have asked me before 2012 if I would have been up here talking about nutrient cycling and holistic farming and and looking at Mother Nature and this whole approach, I would have said, you know, that that's that's not me. But the more I've stepped back and looked at it, the more we've realized, you know, the, the fertility is there in the soil if we can figure out how to unlock it now. Because we have already heard 
through cover crops, through these nutrient cyclings, through to stop abusing our soil and, and treat it as a living, breathing thing that it is, it'll give back if, if we just help it and promote it and through the cover crops. And like I said, I, I really believe that's going to be the key to helping wean myself off of some of the commercial fertilizers and, and some of these higher inputs is to get the, the soil back alive and cycling and, and being a healthy living thing again. We'll go to number 11, and this one's Mike's. Uh, we're producing more bushels per pound of nutrients applied through efficiency. What are some of those things you're doing to, to get to that point? Uh, yes, on our farm, we haven't cut the nutrient rates as much as some people talk about or as much as we read about in the magazines, but uh, our yields have continued to, to uh, increase, so we became more efficient on the, on the nutrients we have put on. And uh, I'd like to take you know, personal credit for the higher yields, but... I think, I think we know it's, you know, genetics and long-term soil health, and that's the main reason. But one exception to that is we can take credit. In 2002, we changed from a pre-plant anhydrous application to a, to a split application of N and side dressing with liquid nitrogen. And that made our system a lot more efficient. We can definitely raise more bushels of corn per pound of N than we did before that. Go to number 12, and this is Jerry's. Uh, cover crops scavenge nutrients and provide food for microorganisms, enhancing soil biology. We're heavy cover crop users. We've been doing a 100% cover crop on every acre since 2012. Prior to that, we used cover crops a long time ago, years before that, but not as serious as it has been since 12. And as we are Harvesting, we put a drill in the field and plant cover crop behind every acre every year since 2012. And we feel that the cover crop, it, it's well, it just adds so many things. Soil erosion, water holding capacity, helps organic matter, and we're just all about cover crops. Okay, we'll go to Robbie. Uh, your end goal is to reduce reliance on and, and levels of commercial fertilizer. I'd like to say that, uh, I mean, I farm because I love it, but I, we're all in it because we have to have an ROI. If we don't have return on investment, um, our banker's not going to be very happy with us. Our family's not going to be very happy with us, so we've got to make a living out of this. And and part of that is to reduce inputs, and I think, you know, we all need to be reducing inputs just because of, look at the, some of the situations our rivers and, and streams are in. And a lot of that's for overuse or not efficient use or, you know, runoff because we're not holding our soil where it needs to stay. Um, so it's just a, you know, that's one of my goals is, is to be, I call my farming system a have-to system. I only want to till when I have to. I only want to use inputs when I have to. You know, I don't, I don't want to use it just because I can. I mean, I think that's another reason why in the, the Delta and the Mid-South we're in the situation we're in with a lot of the weed resistance is because we've used it because we can, not because we needed to. Um, so I think, like I said, that's just, it's a total, it's a total holistic approach that we've totally changed. And I'm, I'm in the same boat as, as Mr. Jerry. It's, it's 2012 when we started on this endeavor um, with the cover crops. And it's just, it's totally changed my whole mindset of, of farming and agriculture and how my outlook is today and, and where we're going in the future with it. Okay. Number 14 for Mike. Our intention is to build the soil, not plunder it. Yes, uh, we have children that are going to follow behind us and farm our fields. The last thing we want to do is let them inherit a rundown farm. Uh, we feel it's our moral responsibility and our duty to, uh, and to give a gift of healthy soil to our successors. Uh, 
in our area, once the soil is depleted, it takes years and years and lots of dollars to rebuild it. And we like to say that soil health and soil fertility are a marathon and not a 100-yard dash. And uh, in our area, a lot of fields and a lot of farms have been raped because of greed and unsustainable cash rents. And uh, we don't want to do that. And Steve Groff visited our farm a couple years ago, and he made the statement that there are two kinds of farmers, those that use and abuse the soil and those that build the soil, and there's not much in between. And we want to make sure we're on the right side of, the equa of that equation. And at the end of the day, we want to be proud of taking care of our earth. All right. And our last one for uh, Jerry is going to be poultry manure is a great source of N, P, and K, helps increase soil organic matter. Tell us what you've been doing with poultry manure. Yeah, we've been uh, using about two tons of poultry litter a year. We do that each year in front of our corn crop. And then uh, we also add uh, potash and some dap and as needed. We find that uh, poultry litter is real high in P and K with all the other, all other nutrients, microbes come with it. Well, it's, it's been a win-win situation for us. Thanks to Robbie Beavis, Mike Brocksmith, Jerry Peary, and Russell Hedrick for sharing their tips and ideas. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Midwest Biotech, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jakeerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest No-Till Farmer news by registering online for a No-Till Insider Daily and Weekly Email Updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer, with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R, -R, and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.